Amen. I just want to encourage you about what God is doing around the city right now. Just this past weekend, we had brothers preaching at Taste of Chicago, the West Side, and in front of the abortion clinic on LaSalle. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Amen. Would you put up some of those pictures from the West Side and Juan preaching downtown as well, please? Turn with me in your Bibles to John 7. As I just encourage my brothers here, I'm, man, I didn't even know you guys would be here. Thanks for coming. This is the, the group that was in front of the abortion clinic Saturday. Amen. You know, I say this in front of the abolitionist brothers here. We're abolitionists as well, but you guys actually have the hashtag in um, the, the Instagram. I'm thinking of Mario and others. I was thinking about this as I was about ready to come out here, looking at your pictures, looking at Juan's picture, and I just met Brother Coleman out there. Do you guys know Brother Coleman that was preaching? Okay, with Juan downtown. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking about this. The church is waking up. And those who are about the gospel are doing the work of the gospel. But there is a group that doesn't want to wake up. And I just want to say this as a healthy warning and as something prophetic towards... Uh, towards these churches that are not welcoming the preachers and that are not preaching. It's time for an exodus to leave them. We have given them many, many opportunities. We have spoken with them, and uh, I don't feel released to say their name now, though if you want to hear some of their names, talk to some of these brothers here. They'll probably name their names. Um, I don't feel released yet to start naming some churches that I used to speak well of in Chicago. But I, but I believe my time is coming. I wrote on one of their Facebooks during the time of Roe v. Wade. And this brother put up so much milk toast, so much compromise, that I said to him, Brother, this is not the way you used to be. This is not who I remember you as. But he put up so much um, lukewarm statements that I had to share my heart with him. And he deleted my posts. Now, I want everybody to think about this because we're going to get into the Word of God and, and then the title of today's message. What a great title for today's message for everybody being here. The world hates me. That's the title of today's message. And when you go verse by verse through the Bible, you don't have to make up titles like that. It's John chapter 7. Jesus teaches it. The world hates me. It's, it's, it's that simple. The world hates me. But as I get ready to share this, and if you could flip through some, just maybe give them, and then also go to Abolition Chicago. I, I know uh, Mario, Urban Chicago preacher, you can put up his. I want you to see what was going on yesterday. But as you're seeing what God is doing, I want to be very clear with you. For many of us, we have spoke peace to our brothers and sisters of other churches because we want to be at peace with them. We, we, when we uh, meet them on the streets and they say, oh, I go to so-and-so church, you know, we, we want to speak peace and blessing because we're happy for Christians in our city. But I think, and I'm just being honest with you, I think it's time we start rebuking them for their pastor's lack of leadership in these times. I'm just being very transparent with you. I know some of you are like, well, we've already been there. But listen, God works on us in different ways. I just think it's time. I was, uh, and I do, feel, I do feel released to mention this person's name. Andy Stanley has campuses all over the country. And I met a brother while I was wakeboarding. And uh, he said, well, I go to Andy Stanley's church. And I said, I was so disappointed in Andy Stanley. What kind of church allows the nation to go to hell in a handbasket 
You have one of the largest churches, one of the biggest platforms. You can't say anything. These men never say anything about abortion. They never say anything about the LGBT sin. They never say any of these things, right? And yet, even churches like us, here's me. Oh, you can just go back by God's grace. If your pastor, and I'm just speaking to a lot that watch us online and those of you here listening to me. If your pastor cannot win someone to the Lord on the streets, like this man was one to the Lord, you need to stop going to that person's church. I just, it's, it's to that time, and I'm, I'm telling you guys this because we believe that it's getting to the point that these churches are actually going to harm you. Now, like I said, uh, you know, I have a friend, Pastor Troy, in, in Raven Ministries of New Orleans. He's been saying this for 10 years. He would probably be like, duh, okay, yes, let's move on to the next thing. But this is a profound thing for me. And I'll tell you why. And I, and, and I don't want to make Pastor Troy look bad because he can't defend himself here. He's a great man of God, 10 years further in the faith than me. And let's go to some of those other pictures now, downtown, the abortion clinic, and then put up Pastor Troy of Raven as well. Yes, can you help them, brother? Because they may be struggling back there. I want to I just share this. And I don't do this because these brothers are here from these other ministries. I didn't know Coleman would be here. He had preached uh, downtown Chicago with Brother Juan. I didn't know the abolition brothers here. Uh, and I, we've preached together at abortion clinics. I didn't know they would be here. So I'm saying this with them present, but I really want everyone to hear my heart. I have covered these pastors because I see a scripture that says, as long as the gospel is being preached, I rejoice. How many have heard that scripture before? Okay, if you haven't heard it, let's look it up. Let's go to the scripture that says, as long as the gospel is being preached, I rejoice. I know that's Paul. Philippians 1. Thank you. Let's go there because I want you to see it in its context. And Pastor Troy from Raven Team, we've actually gotten into arguments about this passage. And I'll be honest with you now. I'll be very transparent with you. I have, um, I have begun to change how I see this passage, and I actually see it more like Pastor Troy in a lot of ways. So what is the uh, actual chapter and verse? Could somebody shout it out? Philippians 1, 14 through 15. Thank you, brothers. Wonderful. Now look at this, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's in prison, okay? He's, he's been arrested. As a, and these are called the prison epistles. As a result, has, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, okay? So that's why he's in chains. It's for Christ. Verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to pro proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, now, here is the passage that's been under debate, and it's in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So Pastor Troy and I from Raven, and you can put up these ministries as well, just to give you a visual, they preach on Bourbon Street, and some of us have hung out with them just recently at Mardi Gras. And so we would go back and forth, and, and I would say, brother, I'm rejoicing that these churches are at least preaching, you know, like say for Andy Stanley, like, man, I'm rejoicing in that. 
I'm rejoicing in that they're not Muslims, that their churches have not become mosques, because a lot of what I do in apologetics is listen to Muslims and so forth, and one of the things they're boasting of right now is taking over so many of our churches and making them mosques, and it just makes me sick. It makes me want to puke. Now, I love all people, and I believe in freedom of religion, and I believe the best idea will win, and we need to let the freedom of thought go back and forth. So I don't think we should persecute them or take away that right, but we're losing ground in the, in the cities of America, especially, to Muslims. And so that's very, very grieving to me. And so I, I would argue with someone like it, Pastor Troy, and, and we would go back and forth, and I would say, well, brother, at least these people still mention Jesus. At least they're still preaching the blood. At least they're, you know, doing these things, even out of false motives. But here is now the problem that I have, and this is what Troy would always say back to me, and I'm starting to agree with him, because here's the problem that I have. I don't think they're preaching the same Christ anymore. I think now we're getting to the point. I mean this in all sincerity. I, I keep saying that, like Jesus said, truly, truly. I really have to clarify this so that you hear me very sincerely today. I am now believing they are crossing over to the point of preaching another Jesus and another gospel. So you can only go so far with this scripture. So you, you can... You can push this scripture in Philippians to cover a lot of showmanship in the ministry, a lot of, uh, you know, bad motives, things going on behind the scenes, conferences for money. One pastor brings in another pastor so they can both take up a $5,000, $10,000 offering for each other. You know, these kinds of things. You could try to stretch that scripture of Philippians so far. Thank you, brothers. Now let's go to the abortion one and to the... Um, and also, I, I saw the pictures. Look, Juan, would you stay back there for me, please? Thank you. Let's get the abortion one and then you preaching as well. But I now think they're preaching, many of them, a different Christ. I was watching some of their services, and only God can be my witness to this, and then now you have to pray. But I'm just telling you as a pastor where I'm coming to, the, the place that I'm being called to. So I don't want you to think it's strange. Oh, pastor used to speak well of these churches. Now he's naming their names and rebuking them. What changed? I just, you know, first service, now you got it. And people who come just to second service, I always encourage them, listen to first service and vice versa. Please, if you have uh, time, uh, you know, listen to the second service today as well. Because I preach totally two different messages by God's grace. What has changed is, as I was watching one of the services, as I felt the Lord tell me, this is Ichabod. That the Spirit of the Lord has departed many of these churches. And I'm talking churches that you and I would have been excited to be a part of many years ago. And pastors and, 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 and leaders that have done well. I mean, to, to speak so broadly, to say everything has been evil, would be to mischaracterize these kinds of churches. And that's why I'm being very careful right now. But I'm getting to the point where I have to now begin to warn people, even against what would be good churches. And I just don't feel at liberty to name the name, so just please be you know, gracious to me as God is working this out in my heart. But it's getting to the point where I don't think they recognize the true Christ of the Bible. Because we're going to read something today, and, and once again, God is in control. The song that they picked that talked about, I'm giving everything despite whatever happens, that song was picked already. I guess they practiced it Thursday before they even knew what I was preaching on today. The world hates me, you know. And whatever uh, this happened this weekend for all of us to be together is, is a God thing. Obviously, these things were planned. And so I just want us now to see this as a God moment, and I want us to pray for the church, especially in Chicago and in America. 
Okay? I want us to pray that we will see the prophetic word begin to come to pass. And uh, Pastor Troy mentioning him again, he believes, and he, I think it was a dream or a vision that he had saw, thank you, that these were the brothers uh, yesterday. Can we give it up for these brothers uh, going to preach in front of the abortion clinic? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And he had a vision of, of people leaving the mega messes, coming to the churches that had been faithful, and God flipping around where the influence would be. And I believe we saw a part of that during the, um, the time of COVID and, and other times like that, like churches you might not have been very much aware of. God began to spotlight the, the ones that were being faithful, and they were the ones being called upon, just like us. You know, out of all the churches in the city, why did they keep calling upon me to be in the news? Why did they keep coming here? Because there wasn't many churches for them to find that were staying open and that were going against the edicts of uh, the mayor. This is Juan going downtown. Let's give it up for Brother Coleman as well going downtown. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that what you have started in the hearts of your prophets and your pastors and your leaders in this generation would begin to come to pass. Father, we pray for, um, for true unity to come and for needless divisions to be set aside. And for those that are truly speaking the gospel, those that are standing for the lives of the unborn, calling out the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah from our city and nation, Lord, we pray that there will be an awakening in these churches to rise up and that these will be the spotlighted churches, the influential churches, the ones that the, the other people would go to. They'll know of them and they'll start to leave Babylon, God, that they'll start to leave synagogues of, of Satan that they'll start to leave these places, Lord. And I pray even for these pastors and these leaders that they will be saved during this exodus, that there will be a repentance, that there will be a second or a third chance for them, O oh God, because I know that you're dealing with them. And that, Lord, you will spare them from the wrath that will come because, Lord, I know they will be a part of that number if they do not repent. That will say, did we not do all of these wonderful things in your name? And you will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Father, we pray for true revival to come. We pray for true unity. Even among our brothers and sisters who are not Pentecostal or spirit-filled, we pray for those that are standing up in their denominations and their movements, O oh God, that there will be a unity between us and them and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see your end-time harvest come. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Just one more thing. As I was praying, I was reminded of our time together with Jeff Durbin and the brothers of uh, Apologia Ministries and how we were joined together with them. And I was reminded of a meme that had come out before with uh, Lord of the Rings and the uh, elf there with the uh, dwarf. They were about ready to fight what they thought was going to be their last battle. And the dwarf said to the elf, I never thought I would die fighting alongside of an elf. And then the elf responds, how about fighting alongside of a friend? And I really saw that come to pass because Calvinists and Arminianists, you know, and, and those of us who believe in the, the calling of God upon women and all this, we, we fight over these things. But you see, we're Pentecostals. We're not, we're not feminists. We don't empower women because of some trend that happened with Beth Moore. To hell with all of that in Jesus' name. So when people talk to us about women in ministry, like apology and so forth, we have our disagreements, but we agree with them that we're not empowering women because now there's a woman's movement. That's not why we're doing it. We've been doing it since the Salvation Army. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an Amen. The people of the holiness movement have been empowering women for a long time, and that's another discussion that we can have. But 
We're also spirit-filled. And I remember the brother who made the documentary about us during the time of BLM doesn't believe in women in the ministry, doesn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But God told him to spend out of his own money the time and the resources to make a documentary about uh, Brother Juan standing up during Nini's Delhi. And so I love what Run Brother said. It's not about those issues right now. See, in those issues, we can discuss and we can decide how we will settle those issues. Calvinism, Arminianism, and all these things. But I like how one brother said, it's either you're open or you're closed, you know, during COVID. That's the new denomination. Are you open or are you closed? Or another way of saying it is, are you for the gospel? Are you preaching the gospel? Are you rebuking the powers of Satan in our generation? Are you standing up for those things? If you are, then you're on my side in Jesus' name. And if they don't like us, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, see, here's the thing. I'm not going to be needfully divided over those things. So I, I, you know, I, I laugh about this because I think about Jeff Durbin, and, uh, you know, they just finished a series where they uh, preached against the rapture. I believe in the rapture. They preached about Calvinism. I, I think Calvinism is terrible. I hate it. You know what I'm saying? And all of these things, they, they mock churches that have women in the ministry. But here's the thing. When I was looking for brothers to come on a podcast during the time of our great persecution with the mayor, I could hardly find in the assembly of God any Pentecostals to come join me. Jeff Durbin from Apologia proudly came on there and joined me for free. No pay needed, praise God. And then when they started to see us all in the, uh, the, the media, began to see us all connected throughout the country, this will be a call that I'll never forget. It was from the New Yorker, and you can look it up. New Yorker, Joe Wyrostic. You can put my name in there. The New Yorker called us up, and I'll never forget this, brothers. I consider this an honor. The New Yorker called me up and said, Jeff Durbin and James White recommended you to be in this article with them talking about the church fighting against the state. Would you like to be in this article with them? And I said, praise God. I said, praise God. It's almost like the jailer saying, would you like to be in this one right here in this jail cell with these brothers? Amen. Amen. We'll, we'll start now with wherever one of our debates are at. We'll argue here for a little bit, but let's just get back to preaching. Amen. I love what uh, Richard Warmbrand said. I wear this bracelet to remind me of the persecuted church. I, I love what he said. He said, uh, when we were persecuted, we preached and they beat us. They beat us and we preached. They would tell them to stop preaching. Then when they would catch them preaching, they would beat them. And then after they would beat them, the one that was preaching would come back to the brothers and, you know, be battered and look them back in the eye and say, brothers, where did I leave off? And he would go back to preaching. May God make us those kind of preachers. Amen. Amen. Let's go to John chapter 7. Amen. John chapter 7, the world hates me. We're going verse by verse through the book of John. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. All those here that are preaching the gospel where you have been called to, may we continue to do these things. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers uh, said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. You are doing these things. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Can we say that together? One, two, three. But it hates me. One more time. But it hates me. Thank you. Because I testify that its works are kind of good. They're good on the inside, and they're just working through things on their journey. That their works are 
evil. Thank you. That's your Jesus and my Jesus. I am not ashamed of that Jesus. Amen. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And you'll see that we'll talk about the King James rendering. I am not going yet up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come, which I believe is the proper reading. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee, verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Can I hear an amen for God's word today? Praise God. Let's look back here at the beginning of the context, John chapter 7. We have concluded uh, chapter 6 after being there for many weeks. If you want to see how we use one chapter of the Bible to refute Calvinism and Roman Catholicism, that was a fun three weeks, was it not? Amen. And I said if you had to choose which one to be with, I would definitely choose being with a Calvinist. They generally have more of a genuine salvation, but we rebuked both of those false doctrines in John 6. So please take your time and listen to that if you're interested. And now we see Jesus is hanging out with his brothers. We also know that he has sisters, and so the Roman Catholics, I guess, are not getting off easy this week either. They claim in, uh, that Mary was a perpetual virgin and that these children were more than likely uh, supposedly cousins, that that's another word for cousins. And though uh, brothers in the Greek and sisters in the Greek can mean that, it certainly does not mean that. Here it's clear in the context who they are. Or others try to say that Joseph had children before marrying Mary, and these are the children. We would have heard about them in the journeys that they had taken if those older children would have been with Joseph from a previous marriage. So I have an article there. If you just scroll up a little bit uh, for me, my brother, you'll see I have an article there for you to study about Jesus having half-brothers and sisters. So these are truly the children that came from Mary. Let me show you in the scriptures, Mark chapter 13, verse 31. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Now, you can be a protestant. You can still protest the Roman Catholic whore of Babylon, uh, the prostitute who sits upon uh, the beast, as it, we've talked about here in Revelation. That was a fun verse-by-verse -verse series, was it not? Um, and you can understand that, that, that Rome is still the seat of religion and uh, a religious uh, empire that will raise up in the end times. You can believe that that is truly the whore of Babylon and still believe in Mary's perpetual virginity. Uh, there have been Protestants who have done that. But once again, they have done that not rightfully so based on the scripture. They have done that based on the tradition that they had kept from the Roman Catholic Church. And so for all of us, let us not fall into any uh, tradition other than that which comes from the scriptures. Amen? Amen. So our guide is the scriptures. So once again, we need to go to Mark chapter 3, verse 31. If I didn't say that correctly, I know it's written in the notes incorrectly. I've already changed it. But uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 31. And, and let's just put an end to who these people are. They are not the cousins or the children of Joseph from a previous marriage. Look here, and I'll show you in the context. Because we've got to know who he's talking to first. Amen? 
I mean, who is he even talking to? So is he talking to his cousins? Is he talking to the children from Joseph? That's why we take our time and do this. Amen? Okay. Then Jesus' mother and cousins arrived. Let's see if that works. No, it's not going to. Let's get there ahead of time, though. And it says, your mother and cousins are outside. And then Jesus says, who are my mother and cousins? Come on, that doesn't even make sense. Jesus' mother and brothers, Adalfoy's brothers, arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call in Jesus. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and who? Brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. See, now, once again, Roman Catholics not getting off easy today. Got to love them, though. Amen. Love, I said, you got to love them. You don't have to love what they do. I hate Roman Catholicism, but I love Roman Catholics. I, I love Mormons, but I hate uh, Mormonism, okay? Now, some of you, you want to go all the way and hate them with a the righteous hatred. We'll talk about righteous hatred in the book of Psalms here in a little bit. I hate those with a righteous hatred. We'll talk about that and give you some insight to how I see it. But some would even go so far as to say we can hate uh, those who are unbelievers with the righteous hatred. And for some of you, that might just scare you. Like, whoa, what, where did that come from? It actually teaches that in the Bible, but I think there's a way to harmonize that with scriptures like John 3.16 that gets a little bit overlooked by the, uh, the crowd that's quick to hate everyone who doesn't love Jesus, okay? So we'll get there, but let's, let's just stop right here. Let's love at least the Roman Catholic that we believe has an open heart to hear the gospel and to repent and be saved. How many believe God is going to call people out of Roman Catholicism? How many have you been called? How many are here who who have been called out of Roman Catholicism. Amen. So God had a love for you and a drawing for you, and you had a choice to receive that or not. Now, what do we see here? The mother has no special place with Jesus once his ministry has begun. Now, sometimes people like to point out in Sean where Mary could get Jesus to do something that he seemed to not be willing to do. And we've already read that in John. And it seems like she could nudge Jesus a little bit. And having preached the gospel and lived in uh, New Orleans, a very uh, populous Roman Catholic city, there were bumper stickers around that were based off of that wedding experience that would say, if you can't get an answer of prayer from Jesus, try his mother. Because in other words, Jesus wouldn't have done that thing at the wedding unless his mother got involved. But I want you to understand something. His ministry had not yet begun. He even says, this is not the beginning of my ministry. My ministry, my time has not yet come. And so we could consider this some kind of obedience, honor that he would have for his parents. This would not be Mary usurping him and be able to take a ministry leadership role over him. Can I hear an amen? That's the way I tend to look at it. Or you could just simply say, God had already wanted this to be done, but used his mother Mary to bring it about. Okay, So that, that would be a way of saying it. But the way I look at it is, is this is in his preparatory time. He's not yet starting his ministry. He has told us this is not yet his time, but he's doing this on behalf of respect and honor for his mother. But now here we see clearly Jesus is in ministry. He is making the word of the Lord known. This is in the timeline of where he is now doing what the father told him to do for three and a half years. And now 
Now look at how he quickly denies his mother any kind of authority or any kind of special place with him. So if Jesus tells you no, don't try his mother, she's not going to hear you. Only a demon will appear to you as the mother of Guadalupe, okay? So don't mess with his mother thinking you're getting something from the mother that you didn't get from Jesus. Otherwise, you'll see yourself with the witch of Endor talking to a demon, Okay, you don't get to bypass God's plans and expect to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to get a demonic spirit. And those who do not know about the witch of Endor, that's not the missing Harry Potter movie. That's actually in the Bible. Okay, read about the witch of Endor in your Bible and you'll know the reference that I just made. Okay, the next thing that we see is that Jesus is very clear when he responds to them in the context. It's not who is my auntie and my cousins. That would make sense. But he says, who is my mother and my what? Brothers. It makes sense to keep it familial. And that is why we believe Jesus had half brothers. And the way I like to say it is this. When you're living for Jesus, sex is not bad. In marriage, sex is beautiful. And so the idea in the church over time was to make uh, sex to be something impure, impure even for Christians. And so these monks went into monasteries and they began to make sex something dirty, something that they would avoid and that they would then push upon the populace as something they should avoid for their holiness. But how many know in the beginning God said he created the man Male and female, amen. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. I've got six kids. I'm halfway to a dozen, amen. And what we can't make, we're going to adopt, praise God, amen. And so we see here that he truly had brothers and sisters, and we see truly that Mary had needs. It's all right if Mary had needs. She's still holy, amen. She's still blessed, but she was, (laughs) I can't even look at some of you right now, I'm a little embarrassed, but I believe Mary had needs. You never see in the Bible, and it's actually a a tremendous argument, you never see in the Bible God call people to be together in marriage without sexual union. Paul actually forbids it. Why? Because we are sexual creatures and don't look at it, at it as something uh, impure. Now, if God has called you to singleness, as he did Paul and others, understand that that is not the norm. And that's a beautiful calling, but it is not the norm. The norm is for us to be fruitful and multiply, amen, and to adopt. And so here we see clearly that Paul, uh, that Jesus rather says, here is my mother and my brothers. So now all of us in Christ, whoever does the will uh, of my father, that does the will of God, is my brother, my sister, my mother. Now we see we are on the same ground that Mary is on. We are the saints of God. Amen? I don't pray to saints. I pray with saints. Where? On earth. If any of you touch and agree on earth, the scripture says here. I don't touch and agree with St. Ignatius or St. Anthony up in heaven when my wife loses her phone. Amen? Thank God for the find the phone app, okay? But I I don't pray to St. Anthony. I, I pray with saints on earth touching and agreeing because now we have the same power and authority that anybody would think that someone close to Jesus 
Jesus would have. And Jesus even dispels that, that they actually don't even have a special authority. That's how I reconcile it with her getting a favor done. It was because it was before his ministry started. He said, my time has not yet come, but I'll do this for you. That's the way I look at it. And then during his ministry time, he's very clear here saying, this is how you can see the kingdom of God. Everyone who does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Amen. Now go to uh, chapter 6 of Mark, verse 3. Just another nail in the coffin of this. And uh, you might say, well, why does this matter? Because it actually goes into their superstition. And when you follow them down this road, they'll keep taking you down the road before you know what you're calling a person, a man who dresses up like mother, father, confessing your secrets to them in a dark closet and being, uh, you know, fed communion like a baby bird. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like they'll start you down a road that, that ends in a ditch. Even though you might say, well, what's the big deal? And, and truly just in and of itself, it's not that big of a deal whether she was a perpetual version or not. It would contradict a lot of scripture, and that makes it a big deal. But like how would it would affect your everyday life? It probably wouldn't. But what would affect your life is the moment you start taking tradition over scripture. That's why it matters in Jesus' name. Amen? So don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff, okay? That's what I say to them. I mean, uh, we're not here to pick a fight with them, but y'all already picked the fight when you took the church and put it into Rome into the hands of pagans and did all that you did. Now we have to correct you in Jesus' name, amen? And we want to pull them out. And these are the kinds of things, and it may be as subtle as this, just talking to your, your family members, those you love in Roman Catholicism, just showing, you clear, uh, showing them clearly that Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin. That could be used by God to pull them out because that can start to unravel uh, the thread of their trust in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, let's just go up a few more verses. Stay start in verse 1. Uh, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, chapter 6, verse 1 of Mark, accompanied by his disciples. When Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard were amazed. Where did these, uh, this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? So they're, they're curious to what's happening here. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? All these questions, right? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the cousin? See, would that make sense there? And the cousin cousin of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon, and his female cousins are with us? Would that make any sense? No. This is Mary. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother? Everybody say the brother. The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and his sisters with us. And by the way, they do have words for cousins that always mean cousin, though Adolphos and uh, Adolphi, I believe, is the female here for sisters, can at times mean countrymen, like Paul will talk about his brothers in the Jewish faith, and it can mean uh, also be used as cousins, like we're close to each other in that way. But notice here, the word that would for sure clarify is not used. Countrymen is not used. Cousins are not used. Clearly the word brother is used, and it's in context of him being the son of Mary and those being his what? Brothers and the females being his what? Sisters. Okay. Now I think we can understand. We can get the context here of what's going on. As a matter of fact, verse 4 will help us. Here's a perfect example. He said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown among his what? Relatives. Now touch this word right here, relatives. Touch this word right here. Oh, go, go up here to this symbol of the Greek here. Go up here to the symbol of the Greek. No, no. Uh, it's going to have like, a, like an N, and it looks like a Q. Right up here. Push this for me, please. I just want you to see this here. There we go. Can I scroll down a little bit here for me, please? 
I took offense at this. Okay, among his own what? His own what? Relatives. Is Adolphus used here? No, an entirely different word. You see, now when it's speaking of extended family, like how we actually have an English word for that, relatives, do you know that it uses, can you leave that up for me, please? Do you see that it uses a different word? Uh, Brothers, let's just go back to where we were. As they're getting ready for that, I want you to see the argument in its context. Jesus clearly inspired the scriptures to say brothers and sisters. Go up just a little bit so everybody can see it. When he speaks about these people, he calls them, yeah, Adalfe is sisters, and Adalphos is somewhere brothers. Where's brothers up here? Adalphos. There we go. Adalphos. Adalfi, right here, is sisters. Now scroll down when it talks about extended family, relatives. Everybody say relatives. Syngenuism, something like that. So what they try to claim is that Jesus was saying, uh, rather that these people were questioning him and making these questions going, Uh, You know, don't we have his cousins with us? Don't we have his relatives with us? Is that the word that that the inspired scripture used? No, the inspired scripture used brothers and sisters. But when now Jesus gives the rebuke, because not only were people in his own home not honoring him, see his own home, not only was his town not honoring him, who else was not honoring him? His relatives. Do you see the three distinctions of his community there? There is a community of town. There is a community of relatives. And there is a community of home. Where do the brothers and sisters fit in? Home. The relatives are where? Outside of the home. And then the town is in the town. Does everybody see that? Jesus had brothers and sisters from Joseph and Mary's uh, relationship. Amen? I'm glad that you're happy that we did that. Now, let's go back to the scriptures and take care of another issue that may not be as exciting for you in our notes, please. I was at one point a King James only. Some of our brothers may be here. I respect them as that. I've gotten to many debates about it. It's one of those things that I prefer not to spend my time debating. But I will say that I have always honored the King James as in times like this when it comes to variance and then when it comes to the extension of the scriptures. So I believe John chapter 8 and the adulterous woman is part of scripture. I believe the longer ending of Mark chapter 16 is scripture. I also believe 1 John chapter 5 verse 7 is scripture. And I also believe here that it is scripture that he said, I am not yet. So brothers, please go to John chapter 7 verse 8, and then I'll share with you why this is an issue and how it's come up in a little bit of translations. Are you guys glad you came to church today? Do you want me to go back to telling you stories about uh, my pet dog growing up, old yeller, Sparky, or do you guys want to learn about the scriptures today? Amen. I know you do. I know you do. But let me just go there because sometimes you get into verse-by-verse analysis of the scripture and you find yourself taking a lot of journeys. Uh, these, These are good for us to go down. Now, if you look here at the King James Version, brother, now would you hit it up there for me, please? First, uh, John chapter 7, verse 8. You will see the King James and how it appropriately puts in the manuscript tradition of not yet. Okay? And we'll talk a, while, talk a, a little bit about why this matters. Okay? Now, they ask him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. But if we have time, we'll get into that. Um, but I want you to see now Jesus' response. So there's a Jewish festival... And let's look at the NIV. Some say the non-inspired version, and I'll tell you why I use it in just a moment. So just hop back here to the NIV, and you'll see how the NIV does it, okay? Now, the NIV, 
He says, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do, okay? So my time is not yet here, he says. Now, uh, go up, uh, no, verse 8, here you go. You go to the festival. I am not going up to the festival. Not yet at this time is what I think is supposed to be there. But now watch what the NIV does because my time has not yet fully come. Now, if you notice what we would call an inclusio, it's like a sandwich. Here is a bun of yet. Here, that's the top bun. Here is the bottom bun of yet. And in the middle is the meat. This is why I still believe in this textual tradition not uh, creating a contradiction. Now, some may say it creates the contradiction. I hate this textual tradition, and I don't use the NIV because of reasons like that. That's between you and the Lord. I once stood on that ground. I don't as of now. But let me explain to you how I would use this to get out of a contradiction based on its own context. The person who brings the contradiction to you will say this. Jesus said that his time has not yet come and that he's not going to the festival. Look at what it says. You go to the festival. I'm not going. And then he says again, my time is yet not fully come. What they will then say is in verse 10, however, after his brothers and sisters left, he also went. So they'll say to you, he did go, but here he says that he's not going to go, okay? As I just showed you with the inclusio, I can give the context. Not yet from the top to the bottom is why he's not going when they go. They are not going to dictate to him the timing of when he is going to go. His timing is going to be as the Lord tells him to go. So he can say rightfully, not yet, I'm not going, not yet. Do you see that happening right there? Not yet, I'm not going, not yet. So that just simply means not yet, I'm not going. Now, if you accept the King James Version and you accept the manuscript tradition as I do, you see clearly that the original, which I believe goes back to the original, it is even said a third time, not yet. So go back there um, to uh, King James. And now you will see the same thing here, but now you will see a third one. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. I am not going. And where is the third one? Right here, yet unto the feast. So some people think that the King James authors tried to help Jesus. In other words, the inspired text only had two yets, not three. And the King James authors tried to add that third one in there just to make sure everybody knew what uh, Jesus was saying so there would be no contradiction. If that is the case, the King James authors were wrong because there wouldn't be a contradiction by having the two yets. People could read in context what was happening there. But I don't think that that's how the, the manuscript tradition came around. I actually think the manuscript tradition started with the three yets and over translation without uh, trying to cause an issue, translators making mistakes left out the third yet. Maybe they're tired. Maybe there's mistakes happening over time. And then people thought that that was the original because it didn't contradict the context because he still was keeping his word not to go with them, but to go when his time had come and Jesus' time came after they left. Can I hear an amen? So I don't need to, this is just between you and I, I don't need to ascribe ulterior motives to the text of the NIV. I don't need to say that they're full of the devil, that this uh, tradition that goes all the way back to Alexandria and all of these things, that, that there is some conspiracy that is meant to make the scriptures contradict itself because the NIV to me still 
provides the context of a sound reason of what Jesus is doing here. At the same time, I do not need to go to the King James and put a conspiracy on them that they are now trying to, these, uh, these manuscripts that go to, to not Alexander, but go back through the time of, um, what, not Alexander, but Byzantine, that these manuscripts are trying to correct what could be possible contradictions. I don't believe that's their motive either. I believe the King James are keeping a manuscript tradition that is true to what they had been handed down, and I believe that had been handed down from the Apostle John. Can I hear an Amen. Now it's up to you how you want to see it and pray through it and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. And I'm sure somebody here will tell you you're wrong either way. But as long as you guys do that in love, I appreciate the discussion. Amen. I know some people say, come on back to King James onlyism. Come on, brother. We want you back. Amen. Amen. I, I'm giving you what I feel my conscience can give you now. Otherwise, I would be dishonest with you. But we will be getting into this again in John chapter 8 because you'll see in your NIV those words that say this is not found in the majority of manuscripts, but it is found in the oldest of manuscripts. The, uh, um, excuse me, it's not found in the oldest, but it's found in the majority, and I side with the majority text. Now, let me just say this because somebody could be a visitor here, and you may want the surety that King James onlyism can give you or the wiggability, if that's a word, of the other versions. And then now you're confused and you're saying, well, pick one, pastor, and then tell me to pick one because otherwise I feel I'm going to fall for an atheist lie. An atheist lie is God's word has been changed, it's not been preserved, and that we can't know what it is. Did I not just explain to you both versions say what I believe the context is? Did I not just do that? So whether there's a third yet or not, has anything changed? No. And so now we have to go back to them and say, what do you think we're, uh, or has been handed down to us that has changed in these manuscripts? And so then they have to make their point. And they won't, and they can't, because even my friends out of the King James Bible have to admit, and I've talked to many of them, understand that I can preach the deity of Christ out of the NIV, I can preach salvation by grace through faith alone, and I still can preach that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Amen? And so, like I said, they may not like some of the ways it's been handled, and that's between them and the Lord, and I can relate to that. And let me just say this real quick, because not only can I relate to that, I didn't watch movies for almost 10 years. Now I watch some movies. I didn't listen to secular music. Now I, watch, uh, I listen to something like, you know, uh, that, that wouldn't be harmful, what I think to my soul. And so sometimes people say, Pastor Joe, you've compromised. I think that's a harsh judgment, and I would be very honest with you to say, in my spiritual walk, I have noticed no difference for my love of the Lord for my passion for the things of God, uh, being able to watch Spider-Man, okay? Now, before I would have set Spider-Man on fire and I would have rebuked everybody who watched Spider-Man, okay, I'm just being honest with you, uh, and, and that would have been that. But I have a respect for all of those people. And so some of my friends, I just want to say this to you, they still believe that way, and I don't think we should mock them or make fun of them, okay? I think they're worth more in their Christianity than those who are wearing skinny jeans, can't preach the word of God, right, and have no integrity in the ministry. Praise God you don't watch movies, amen? Praise God that uh, you, you do all of these wonderful things. Praise God for that. Like, in a sense, like, you read out of the King James, that's amazing, okay? You, you, you believe these? That's, like, I feel we should cheer them on even if they don't understand us because from their mentality, they think we're compromising because to them, the King James is the word of God. They're the only one that's been preserved. So let's not ridicule them. Let's show them that we can love them and work through these things. Amen? Okay. So that's where I land on that. Now, you have to study. Let's get to the heart of the message, though. Everybody say, the world hates me. <laughs> that was just the introduction. You ready for the message now? Amen. 
The world hates me, Jesus said, but it cannot hate you. See, Jesus said to his brothers here who had not believed in him, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify that their works are evil. Now, this is where we have to preach today because people want to be loved by the world. They want to go beyond what Jesus said to do. They want to be more Christ-like than Christ himself. How is it we today can say Christ did it wrong? Christ is a bad Christian. Listen to the silliness of that statement. Because we want the world to love us. We want the world to take us in. We want the world to approve of us. We want the world to say we're the best. We want the world to put our church on the news and say, look at how they're giving away groceries. Look at all the work they do in the inner city. Look at this businessman just donated to this church. One pastor sat up on his roof for two years waiting with his hand out for somebody to give him money. And now he just got his $5 million and he came off his roof. Brother, you should have been preaching on the streets, believing God to provide because he said if you give, it will be given back unto you. But that's what he did. He said, I'm going to go up here and take after Gandhi and put my hand out and not come off this roof until you give me money. And then now the city says, oh, he got his five million. And yeah, he can start his community center. But I'll tell you what, there's community centers all over this city and people are still going to hell. You can go to hell still playing basketball on a brand new court. You can go to hell, hallelujah. You can go to hell with a brand new gym. We don't need more community centers. We need the community of God, the church, to rise up and preach the gospel. That's what we need. Hallelujah. And if you want to put a community center with that, you let the gospel be the dog and the community center be the tail. You preach the gospel in that place without any hesitation. Because now that you got the money from the person, he put the quarter in the jukebox, he calls the dance. He gets to now tell you what dance you're going to dance. Otherwise, you don't get the money. Come on, somebody. I'm not dancing their dance in Jesus' name. Now the Bible says the world's going to hate you when you testify about it being evil. The world's not going to hate you because you drive bad in traffic. Stop blaming that on the devil. Drive right in traffic, amen? The world's not going to hate you because you don't know how to speak and you just mumble and cause offense out of you know, your vocabulary. You know, the Bible says that it's not going to be because of our sounding words. It's not going to be because of our, our, our positions in life. The Bible says they will hate us because we testify about their works being evil. I've said to some of my friends who come against our methods of evangelism, holding up the aborted babies preaching against sin. I always say to him, no one's taking me up on the offer. I said, well, join me at the Pride Fest then, Belmont and Clark, and you say homosexuality is the sin in your words, in your way, let's see the outcome. Not just God loves everybody. I want to hear you say the words homosexuality is sin. I don't care if you come up there and smile like Joe Osteen and go, hey, everybody, I'm just glad to be here at Belmont and Clark today. Thank you, heckler. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Because the moment Joel Osteen says, and by the way, homosexuality is sin, and all all of Sodom and Gomorrah went to hell, and if you don't repent, you're going to hell with, you know, I don't care if he smiles. 
I don't care if he does Ray Comfort magic tricks and then says it. If anybody's ever seen Ray Comfort in the back in the day, they used to do magic tricks and they give people money to stop and all this. You know, God bless whatever he's doing. I think that's an example of we love that, brother. Just keep preaching. Amen. But I don't care if you did it in a puppet show. Seriously, it doesn't matter if you did it in a puppet show. It doesn't matter if you, if you did a, a meme to it. You did a meme. You ever seen mimes or memes? No, memes is on Facebook. A mime is what they paint up their face with. I don't care if you meme it out and spell it out, sin, and then you put the flames of fire, and then two people of the same gender going there, you know? Come on, can I hear an Amen. What do you think the world is going to say back to you? Oh, we just love the, the pantomime. You think Belmont and Clark are going to love you? Belmont and Clark is not going to love you miming to them. They're going to hell. Belmont and Clark is not going to love Joel Osteen smiling at them. They're probably going to be upset and say, man, why are you smiling at me? Why are you telling me I'm going to hell? Don't you at least care about me? It's like you're mocking me. That's why when we preach, we preach like that man said we should preach. He t- the story got passed down the letter Ravenhill, but he was on death row, and the, the Anglican priest was telling him about heaven and hell, you know, just reading off his little notes. And the man said, if I believed it like how you say it, I would crawl on my knees all across England on broken glass just to spare one soul from going there. I don't even think you believe it, sir. At least let him see that we believe it. At least let them see that we love them enough to tell them the truth and that we can testify about who who we were and where we were going without God. I always tell the testimony to the most vulgar one that we meet there at the abortion clinic. We're there the fourth week of the month. I always tell them, I was just like you, you filthy, rotten sinner. (laughs) I was. I was just like you, you wicked thing. When I saw my friends from the local church, Standing out in front of the streets talking about saving unborn babies' lives. I was on my way to a skate park. Some of you know the story. You could finish it. I rolled down the window, and what did I do? I mooned them. I was a wicked, filthy sinner just like them. I, I know you don't understand this because the devil's lied to you. And they hate us. Sometimes we're out there, and they hate me like they know me. I'm, I'm like, you don't even know me, but they got so much to say about me, you know. You're this and you're that. And I'm like, you don't even know me. You're acting like we've been friends for 10 years and I let you down. Now I didn't come to your anniversary. You just hate me with a personal hatred. But you know why they hate you like that? Because they've already met 10 other Christians preaching on that corner. They've already heard the message of the gospel. And they already know in their conscience what God has said to them. And they don't want to do it. And so they're not angry at you personally, though it comes out that way. They're angry at the God that they know loves them and exists and has a plan to save them. Amen. I love the way Frank Turek said, an apologist, he said, this is what they say, those who rage. I don't believe in God and I hate him. That's what they say all the time with their actions, don't they? I don't believe in God, but I just hate him. If you saw somebody out there preaching about Santa Claus, you would feel pity for them. You wouldn't hate them. They hate us because they know the God of the Bible is real. They know it pricks their conscience. We were out yesterday. We saw a whole group of Hebrew Israelites. They were dressed up like they were doing synchronized dancing or something. They always like to dress alike. 
It's something how masculine they pretend to be while doing effeminate things. All got the same outfit on, all of these emotions that they have. You always got to be so gentle with them, otherwise they don't want to talk to you. I'm being honest. They act bad when they're on the mic, but when we come one-on-one, they say, no, sir, we're not interested. Who's a witness to that? Were you, no, who, no, you were there, but who was a witness to when I spoke to them yesterday and they turned down the conversation? Yeah, AJ, little young brother. Give it up for AJ. He'll be a witness. He was there. They didn't want none. They didn't want it. We just rolled up on them. Oh, no, we don't want that now. We don't. If you have questions, you can go talk to our elder. You mean the guy shouting on the mic that never lets me get the mic? That guy? I want to talk to you right now. Well, anyways, I say all that because they act as if they have an answer, but they don't have an answer. And the world doesn't hate them. I've watched white yoga pant, pant, pant wearing uh, sinners walk right by them and say nothing to them. I call them the yoga pant wearing cult. The privileged white female. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, man. They come by in their yoga pants. And they will come and they will scream at us, sister. They'll get all up in our face. And there'll be some black Hebrews like, y'all the devil, you fool of the devil. You don't have a soul. And they'll just be like, oh, okay, you all okay. Those, those black people, they're different, but they're okay. Just walk right by them. I've even seen some of them kiss their feet. Come down and kiss their feet. They'll kiss their boot, apologizing for slavery. Old white Karen getting down there kissing the the boot of a black Hebrew Israelite. Look it up if you want to be disgusted. And yet Karen from the yoga pant wearing cult will come and cuss us out. She'll come and cuss out an Afro-American, African-American queen preaching the gospel. To the point where you know if this wasn't if this wasn't the gospel, she wouldn't have tried that. She would have been slapped back into next last week. But now white Karen got her privilege because you're a Christian and I can tell you whatever I want. And yet they let the Mormon pedal their bikes. They let the Jehovah. I've even had sinners defend the Jehovah Witnesses. I was, were you with me in Logan Square when we were preaching to the Jehovah Witnesses? And I heard, I'm telling you the truth. I heard sinners, brothers, saying, leave them alone. I said, I'm not leaving them alone. They come knock on our doors. They come preaching their false gospel. They say all of these churches are synagogues of Satan. And yet now we have a chance to debate with them. And they're tucking up their little brochure thing and walking on down the bus or going to the bus. I'm telling you, sinners were joined together to hate a Christian. Have you ever seen when you're out preaching the gospel how they all became friends all of a sudden? I'm telling you, you can see the bloods, you can see the crips, you can see the Muslims. You want unity around the world? Just tell them all to hate a Christian. And they'll all join together. And isn't that what the Bible says happens in the end times? They're all going to find their unity in hating us as Christians. And why do they hate us? Because we testify that their works are evil. We tell them what the Bible says. You want to see some of the works that we testify about? Say amen. Amen. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. We testify about the works of evil in this generation. One woman, you can read her. God bless these people, man. I love them. I do. I wish I had time to talk about holy hatred. I don't. Uh, may the Lord give me the wisdom to give, me a, give you a two-parter on this, and we'll talk about holy hatred and these things. But uh, what passage were we going to? 
Go to Galatians 5 with me because I just thought about this sister's review. Thank you. She came to our church, and you could just see it in her, uh, read it in her post. You could tell she was confused by this. You could tell she was expecting to show up to one of those other churches that I'm telling you I'm about ready to name and rebuke because, <laughs> yeah, I know you're ready, brother. Just name them right now. There's always the, the more radical one than me in the bunch. I'm trying to keep up. Just pray for me. My legs are little. I'm trying to keep up on my journey, okay? She said, I went to that church, and I was hurting, and I was expecting help, but all they did was preach against sin and all these other things. And then this is what she said, because I'm not the only crazy one. And the crowd cheered them on. How many are glad to hear it's holiness or hell today? It's his way or there's no way to heaven. Hallelujah. Hell's hot, heaven's not. Or hell's, <laughs> hell's hot, heaven's not. Did I get it wrong? Oh, I did get it right. Okay, help the preacher. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We testify about their deeds that are evil. Why are we rejoicing? We're rejoicing because we used to be evil. We used to be sinners. We used to fall for the same traps. Go to verse 19. The acts of the flesh are these. These are the things that they don't want us to preach about, but we're going to keep preaching about. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like. Would you highlight this? Let's read it together. One, two, three. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. As the old preacher used to say, it's tight, but it's right. God is looking for us as Christians to preach it. And they may not love you, and they're probably not, but we're going for the one. Amen? Could you put back up that young man at that truck that came to the, to the front while I was preaching? He came to get saved. Now you know if I'm preaching like this and someone comes to get saved, that's saved, saved. Amen? Sometimes my friends get all these people to say sinners' prayers, and I'm like, man, they, probably most of them aren't saved, let's be honest. They just wanted to have their get-out-of-hell-free card, okay? But when you see this kind of preaching go forth, it saves people. I think about Rudy who found our flyer at the bottom of an elevator and came to church as an atheist. He got saved, saved. Come on, that's real salvation. I think about those here from the LGBT STD community and how Jesus Christ has set you free. Amen. This man got saved, saved. He heard me preaching. And I said, if anybody wants to get saved and born again, come right now before this preacher and give your heart to Jesus. Put your hand in mine and I'll pray for you now and you can confess your sins to God. And he gave his heart to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us not get discouraged in preaching the truth because we can get to the point where we think it's just a holy huddle. But I believe that there is a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe we're going to stay in a storefront church. I believe, like Pastor Troy said, that they're going to start emptying those churches, filling churches like this, and God's going to give us a nation in Jesus' name. If he did it for the Methodists, if he did it for the Pentecostals, if he did it for the Salvation Army, he can do it for us again. Amen? He can give us souls. Souls for the kingdom of God. So is it worth the world hating you? It is. Don't get discouraged, brothers and sisters. Go quickly with me to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. God doesn't love everything. He hates things. And he also will hate the sinner in their sin when they die. This is where I don't know how much time I could get into before second service. But everybody asks this. How can a loving God send people to hell. We always tell them people send themselves, right? That, but that's half the truth. There's also another part of the truth. He's not all love. He's also hate and holiness, and he sends those he hates to hell. 
Now, I know you might think to yourself, that goes against the Bible. Pastor, God so loved the world. How does that work? We're not Calvinists. We don't believe that just means the elect. So what happens on Judgment Day? What happens on Judgment Day is that the grace of God now turns into the wrath of God, and the hatred of God is revealed. In other words, no one's going to hell that Jesus is crying over. His tears are on this side of eternity. His tears were there before the cross, were they not? As he wept over Jerusalem. His tears are in the prophets as they called out to God. His tears are in our apostles, okay, as they wrote the scriptures, broken for the people that they had to hand over to Satan. But the tears of God's grace turn into the boot kicking of his wrath. So make sure that his hatred does not come upon you because there are six things the Lord hates, yes, even seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. That's why God has cursed our land because we have shed innocent blood. We have had haughty and proud eyes in our entertainment. He hates the heart that devises wicked schemes. And where are our hearts, by themselves or are they in people? They're in people, are they not? Where are our eyes? Are they by themselves? Are they in people? And where are the tongues? They're in people. Where are the hands? They're in people. These people that have haughty eyes, lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, and feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness God hates, the Bible says, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now just highlight that as I go back to my initial message. Let us make sure that if we are going to cause conflict, we do it in a gracious way towards a hope that we can be truly unified. Can I hear an amen? Because God does not want his church to be in conflict when we already believe this. Amen? Now, there may be disagreements, but do not cause conflict with preachers like this. I remember being at Mardi Gras one time, and there was a conflict between us and another group. And I began to see that, you know what, all the devil would want us to do is just sit here and fight us street preachers amongst each other. So from that point on, the Lord gave me this word, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes they don't love me. But I love them back. Amen? I remember one time we were preaching at uh, Boricua Fest, the Puerto Rican festival, and there was a group of dispensational Baptists out there that believes only Paul's words are uh, efficient or sufficient for the new covenant, that, uh, you know, anybody who who says the sinner's prayer is saved. And then he had a very unique way about looking at women and the roles of of the world. He didn't didn't want them doing anything other than being in the house, okay, Uh, just to put it nicely. So I went over there to greet them in the name of the Lord. I didn't know anything about them, right? I just went over there to greet them in the name of the Lord, brother. I see you preaching out here with your family. I greet you in the name of the Lord. I've never seen you out here. I've been preaching uh, by God's grace at this park now. I think it was like 10 years. And then he rebuked me, called me everything but a saint of God. Put me on YouTube as we began to debate. But the Lord checked my spirit. And I looked at him, and I know somebody might think, well, Joe, you just sounded like a coward. But no, I really was convicted by this. I said, brother, I'm not here to argue with you. I mean, I'm here to argue with a lot of people. Let's just keep that real, okay? I will argue with a lot of people out here and debate the scriptures if there's profit in it. You know, the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he's wise in his own eyes. There's a fool we answer. But then there's a fool we don't answer. It says, don't answer a fool in his folly, lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. So you got to know who's fool, what kind of fool you're dealing with, Amen. 
So I went to this brother, and I just said to him, I said, man, I, I, I just don't have it in me to debate you. Just like some of my Calvinist friends, they wanted to debate Calvinists. Brother, I just don't have it in me to debate you. I just can't. I, it's just the Lord has not released me to do these kinds of things. I get fired up about all these calls. I, I go out here and preach, but I just can't take time out of my day, spend two hours online with you debating this. And then it's out here at an outreach. Brother, I can't debate with you whether or not a woman can have a job. Like, that's where we got into the conversation, you know? Like, he was upset there were women out there in pants, and it, it, you know, it was just a mess. And he was rebuking all of our women in pants and shorts. And it just, it just got out of hand. But I heard, I heard in my heart, God say, I'll deal with him. I've already, see, I told him what he needed to hear, but then he'll deal with him. So I just want to say this to you. If you truly see another Christian doing, I'm talking preaching the gospel. Can I hear preaching the gospel? Come on, somebody say doing the work of the ministry. Somebody say the world hates them. Can you do your best to not stir up conflict in the community? Amen. So these are the things the Lord hates. And the Bible says that he's going to deal with them on judgment day. And I just will say this now in closing as Daryl comes, please. The psalmist said, I hate those who hate you with a perfect hatred. There's a time when God's wrath will turn towards hatred. And there will be a just punishment given to those who hate God. But can I tell you what we're supposed to do right now? I said, can I tell you? Come on, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Some of you remember this in the Beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and onward. I think by God's grace I'll preach this again. Amen. Is that okay? You come back for part two? Amen. This is how we are to look at them. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. How many are blessed here today? So you are to look at your persecution as being blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we're supposed to think of ourselves as being blessed, and we're not supposed to get discouraged and think that these people God has abandoned. Go now to Matthew chapter 13. So how are we, verse 21, how are we to understand persecution? We're being blessed. So they're giving us an opportunity to be blessed. And what are we not supposed to do? We're not supposed to quit. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Somebody say, I won't give up. Somebody say, I won't fall away. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to give you one more here. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. So we're blessed. We're not going to fall away. But I tell you, love your enemies. Now what do we do for them? Love them. But I thought God hates them. He hates what they're doing. And he's going to pour out his perfect hatred on them in wrath. But he loves them now. That's why he's telling us to love them. That's how I reconcile this. Those who only see the hatred of God towards sinners have a contradiction now. How do I love that which God hates? And I had other scriptures here. I don't have time to get into it. But here's how I see it quickly, and I'll expand on it more by God's grace willing uh, next week. God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. How many believe that? God so loved the world. But what does 1 John 2 say? Do not love the world. So what do we understand in what we're doing there? God so loved the people, but he doesn't love the world and what they do. Does everybody see that? What does he hate? He hates the wickedness of their heart. And will the psalm be fulfilled that those who have been under God's wrath then will be hated on the day of judgment? Yes, they will 
they will come under the full, full fierceness of his wrath. Okay? Does everybody get it? He's not weeping over those going to hell. Hell is for those who God has hated in his judgment. He once loved, but now he hated. That's how I see it. Because right now, what am I commanded to do? Hate them? Is that what it says? Hate them that hate you. Hate your enemies. Hate your mayor. Make fun of her. Call her Beetlejuice. Sometimes. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. Hate the homosexual community because you know they would set you on fire if they could. Hate the Muslims because if they take over, they're burning your Bibles and they're burning your churches like they're doing in Pakistan and Nigeria. Hate them. No. What does the Bible say? Love your enemies. As true as it is, we will be hated. And as much as you were shouting me down then, would somebody say an amen to loving your enemies? We love them. We love them even though they spit at us, they mock us, they ridicule us, they try to dox us on our jobs and say, did you know that so-and-so went to a church like this? We love our enemies. And then what do we do? We pray. We pray for those who persecute us. Why? That we may be children of your Father in heaven. Because doesn't he hate a lot of stuff? He does. But he hasn't poured out his full hatred yet, though his wrath is still upon them. He's still being gracious even here before the fullness of that wrath comes. Because he lets his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, why did you go greet those black Hebrew Israelites, Joe? You should have just shouted, y'all going to hell. I greeted them. Not the Christian greeting, but a peaceful greeting to bring them to Christ. I don't treat them as brothers or sisters in the sense of giving them the affirmation. I treat them as I want to be treated, you understand, but there are greetings for our brothers and sisters. I didn't greet them as a brother or sister. The Bible says in that way we don't even let them into our house. You don't let a cult member into your house unless you're ready to preach to them, amen? You don't greet them and welcome them, the Bible says, as you would any old stranger because they're coming there to deceive you. If you welcome them, you're very honest with them. You can come in, but I'm going to preach to you the gospel. Can I hear an amen? I know those are other scriptures we may not have time to get into. But we don't just love those who love us. We don't just go out to the streets and preach to those who are our friends. Sometimes I see Christians, no offense because I know it gets a little, you know, tired and hot out there. Sometimes I see you all just talking to each other. We're not just out there to talk to each other. We're out there to greet those who don't love us. How you doing, Mr. Transgender? How you doing, Mrs. Homosexual? We love you in Jesus' name, but we call you to repentance. That's my message to them. And if they hear the message of wrath and of judgment, they hear it from a heart like Jesus had. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because in the next moment, and I want every street preacher and everyone in my church to hear this, because I said this when I was preaching at another street preacher's convention. I kind of feel that, that anointing here. I said, because if we're not ready to be their friends at the next moment, we haven't preached them the right gospel. Because we're only preaching to them to push them away. 
You see, I'm ready in the next moment. I'm serious, and I've had it happen. I'm ready in the next moment for the transvestite, the transgender, to come fall on their knees and give me a hug and say, I was born in a Christian church, and I knew better than this, and I'm coming back. And I'm not saying get away from me. I want to be right there and say, I love you. And I don't want to have to say, well, I'm sorry for the what I just said to you. I want to be able to tell them that truth from that heart of love. And if they fall on their knees before Jesus, I can raise them right back up and say, let's serve God together. Because I'm not ashamed of how I've treated them. Some of us, let's be honest, we would be ashamed of those people coming in here today, uh, ashamed to see them here today because we're with our families and we're not yelling and hollering and calling names like that. So you got to be careful when you're using names and you're using descriptions of sin that you're doing it as our Father does for the sake of their soul to be saved. Yes, they are murderers. Yes, they are wicked. Yes, they are liars. They are open graves. They are full of deceit. In other words, there are enemies and they're evil. But yet we love our enemies. And we pray for them. Amen? And we will love them even if they don't love us. That's why when they give us one finger, we're better. We give them two in Jesus' name. I gave you the greeting of peace. You didn't want it. Now I shake off the dust and I go to the next abortion clinic. I go to the next city. I go to the next barbecue. Amen? Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Somebody say, the world hates me, but Jesus loves me. Somebody say, they hate me, but I love them. In the name of Jesus, band and altar workers, would you come? Second service, thank you for your patience. We'll get started in just a moment. Father, I pray for a true anointing to come of those to preach the gospel with hatred towards sin and love for sinners right now in the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you're a sinner and you don't know Christ, be born again. We beckon you to come. You can even come now and repent of your sins with one of these brothers or sisters or where you're seated now. Repent of your sins. Declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus, be the Lord of everyone's life here today. That's my prayer. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but you got sin in your life, repent of your sin. There is patience for the backslider, but backsliding patience wears out over time. Right now, hear the preaching of the gospel and come to the Lord and let the Lord break your heart again as if you had never been saved. Get the sin out in Jesus' name. I pray for all backsliders to come and know the Lord, to love keeping His commands. His commands are not burdensome, hallelujah, but they are a light to the soul. They are a light to the soul. They are an uplifting of your conscience today. Follow the laws of God. And then lastly, for all the preachers here today, all the disciple makers, would you raise up your hands with me? And would you say, Lord, use me. Use me to spread the gospel, the gospel of grace that can fix sinners to repent and come home to a loving father that convicts those who murder children to become sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. A gospel that convicts the perverse and the immoral to become pure and holy in the sight of our God. Hallelujah. Anyone who needs to come, even come now, will dismiss and worship. But pray, saints.